Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for The Upcoming's 18th episode is a man of talent. Straight out of the Bronx, New York, he is an alum of SUNY Purchase College, like me, and is now working on his career as a hip-hop extraordinaire. He is a rapper, producer, and music video director, and, of course, music video producer, and when he's not out doing all of that, He's continuing his love and passion for basketball. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to present the magnificent man from the East, Dwayne Evan Wilson, a.k.a. Evan LaSalle. How's it going, Evan? I'm good, man. Wow. Episode 18. That's awesome, dude. You've really been at this. <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. That's on that, man. And thanks for a great introduction, man. <laughs> uh, thank you, man. Thank you. So... Listen, Evan, one thing that always happens in the upcoming is I let my guests take time to introduce themselves. So for people who don't know, in your own words, Evan, who and what exactly are you? Uh, in my own words, um, you know, I like to be like as straightforward as possible, but um, I'm just a dude who, who does what he likes to do, like what he, what he um, you know, finds joy and passion in it. and, you know, that for me, that happens to be music and basketball and like, you know, any way that I can keep myself like uh, involved in those atmospheres, you know, I just sort of go with um, without anyone's permission or anyone's like, uh, no permission pretty much so now, <laughs> uh, or like really caring um, about, you know, the world's reaction and whatnot. So yeah, you know, I write music, um, I produce music, um, you know, I'm still a very active basketball player. I just joined a new league um, for the fall and whatnot. I'm super excited for that. Um, and yeah, and frankly, uh, the, ch- the challenge has been um, just getting this stuff recorded, really, just uh, getting um, somebody to like take a video of it or like, you know, stuff get stuff and content to post on Instagram and whatnot, you know, to bring people in on my journey. Uh, I know that was a bit long-winded, my bad. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a perfectly good explanation. So let's just um, dive a little bit into uh, your backstory, Evan. Uh, when did you, for people who don't know, when did you realize that hip-hop was, you know, rap music was something you wanted to do? Um... Hmm. You know, I guess in high school, it was like sort of like a hobby and like a way that I got to know people, Um, you know, um, like I would be like rap battling at lunchtime and whatnot. And my theory on it was like, as long as you're as good as you could be at it, then people will see that. So like, you know, I just went at it with that sort of mindset and it's like you know i'm here this is what i can do and you know interpret it how you interpret it and people started gravitating towards me for that um but you know high school you know it's hard to really take it seriously in high school as everyone tells you not to um 
And then in college, um, that's when I met uh, my best friend, Zach, who sort of put me more on to like song structure and like making actual music and getting up to producing and stuff like that. Um, and honestly, it's it started to feel more and more just like a superpower the older I get <laughs> and whatnot. Because, you know, with like each new song, you want to try something different from the last song and, um, you know, just see what the best you can make is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really something. And you said you um, started with you um, having like some rap battles in uh, high school. What was the, like, t- tell us what those... Um, that scene was like like what was how intense was it was it or like was it all fun like what what was it and that and those rap battles you you we were in um i'm sorry hold on i have a, actually have a performance later that i'm um trying to coordinate at the same time i heard your question though um so the rap battles in high school they sort of like they happened like every other lunch period. And, um, you know, so you'd sort of see like the regulars who would, you know, I'd be one of those kids who would cut class to me and one of them and whatnot. And of course, there's a little bit of that, like, oh, I want to impress the girls and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I would approach it as, you know, let me come as off kiltered and like off balance with my cadence as possible is like that was something I felt like I had over other people and um and also I would do a lot of writing I'm, I'm not like the greatest off the top of the dome rapper um and I knew that back then but I knew where my strengths lied so um you know I would write accordingly and you know I'd hit the uh, in this case, the cafeteria table, but what we saw as the stage, and you know, I do me. Nice, nice, nice. And so, we first started rapping practice. Like, how often were you like practicing for yourself? Was it every day, every once in a while? Like, like how often were you like just f- like honing your craft as you um, years went by? Um. So there's like a. There's like a, you know, like a direct honing of the craft, which is where I'm like working on myself and my own performance and just like, you know, writing it out and then trying to, there's that process of writing it out. Then there's that process of uh, reading it straight through perfectly. Then there's that process of memorizing it straight through perfectly. And then after that, you sort of like start adding like vocal inflections and your own like little like flavor to what you're saying. Um, so it's just like this constant layer of memorization. So that's sort of how I directly practice that. But um, in the indirect sense, I, you know, rapping other people's songs has just been like, you know, something I've always did as a child. Um, you know, I always felt like good music sort of takes over the spirit and whatnot. And for me, the songs that hit the hardest were uh, songs that were like hyper lyrical, like uh, like your Jay Z, like your Eminem, like your Nas, your J Cole's, your Kendrick. Now that's stuff that I always got inspired by. So you know when I'm creating my own um, my own art, you know, you sort of hear those influences inside of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny uh, we're talking about influences now because I. 
I know that you've listened to, uh, uh, you're fans of a lot of mainstream artists, but you're also a fan of underground artists as well. Have mm-hmm. you found more uh, inspiration and more influence from mainstream or underground artists? Mm. Um, so it's about half and half. Um, with the underground artists, you know, I like the sort of flexibility that they can use in sort of sounds and like concepts and whatnot. Um, so that's, you know, that's the side that I try to keep from the independent um, side, uh, more so on the mainstream, you know, I recognize I, you know, I sort of pigeonholed myself in the past as like a boom bap artist. And I recognize that, you know, the game is changing and I do have to learn how to adapt and whatnot. So sort of, you know, taking some sort of techniques and, and production ideas that are exercised in the mainstream and then putting my own lyrical take on it is sort of where I find myself. Um, I'm a bit of a old, old hip hop head. So like, um, a lot of the stuff that I hear nowadays is, has great production, but subpar lyricism. So I want to sort of flip that on its head. Not completely, you know, we still want to keep the great production, but also get some better lyricism out there. Yeah, you know, and with the, even with your, I do agree, there is a lot of like fantastic producers out there who are putting out some like seriously um, amazing tracks, but there is a lot of lyr- lyricists that are definitely just not just not really reaching like mm-hmm. somebody who like like really reaching people like you would want them to now we do have you know artists who sort of change that and like put out good good tracks like obviously Kendrick and Cole is one thing but also Logic, Childish Gambino, Denzel yeah. Curry, Hobson mm-hmm. when you look at these specific artists uh you've like how does it how do you believe that um, you still think that hip hop could still be there? Imp- I cannot speak right now. I'm so sorry about that. But okay. um, when you look at these artists like this, do you still like have like trust and belief that the lyricism of hip hop like won't die, or does it still? Do we still have so much further left to go? Um, do I think it won't die? No, I <clears throat> I do think it won't die. I think that's, I think I made that correctly. Um, but yes, no, I think the lyricism will stay alive and well. And the reason I say that is because although, you know, you look at the numbers and the billboards and you see, um, you know, you see what's at the top hip hop wise is not like super lyrical. Um, but I also don't think it just, I, I don't think it lasts very long. You know, those types of songs aren't songs that really stick with you. Right. Like, so, for example, I still bump Good Kid, Mad City to this day, where we're like 10, 10 years later. It's still been on the, the billboard charts and whatnot. And that comes from a place of honesty and like the roots of hip hop, which is poetry, which, you know, brings it back to honesty and self-reflection and whatnot. So it's like when you put that stuff out there, that's the stuff that's really going to stick with people. And frankly, that's just the lane that I want to be in. Like, sure, it's easy to... Um, you know, just make uh, what I refer to as McDonald's music, <laughs> but like make that. McDonald's you, know, music. You, you know that music, like you know that. Yeah. that easy. I used to make jokes about that, like yo, 
It's like today's music is like how McDonald's describes his food. Good, bad, it sells. That's yeah, nice. it sells. Exactly. Um, it sells, but it doesn't connect. And I, I you know, I want to make music that connects. I don't care too much about how much it sells, you know. I yeah. still out here living life as a regular person. Uh, you know, I still work, I still make money other ways. Um, you know, I'm working on my investments and building up my portfolio for later, but my music is just it's reflections of life, man. It's, it's, <laughs> so yeah. I gotta live life. <laughs> but a lot of uh, rappers, good rappers, are basically telling stories of like their lives and stru- their struggles and their um, their their face and all the things that you know show that they're human. And mm-hmm. you are doing much the same. But how do you see yourself stepping like away from those rappers and like those messages and just being the one that stands out, being the one people can recognize? Um. I know this is going to sound like cliche, but literally by being myself, you know, (laughs) like, um, you know, one of my biggest inspirations is J. Cole. And as much as I listen to his music, I didn't go through everything this nigga went through. Right. Like certain parts of it connect with my life. And those are the parts that reach out to me. But the reality is he's writing his story. (laughs) Same thing with Logic. He's writing his story. Sam Hobson, all all of that. Everybody's writing their own story. And there's going to be moments in time where it's going to parallel your own life but it's never going to be exactly the same so in that approach all I got to do is write my story (laughs) and and there's going to be some stuff that connects with people and there's going to be stuff that connects with different types of people you know but um that's really all I feel like I have to do in order to you know separate myself I don't think I have to do anything special I don't need a gimmick i don't need a um you know anything that's other than me you know <laughs> i'm me i like making music <laughs> yes you are heavenless soul nobody yeah. you're your own person so you know i want to take it back to when you mentioned uh boom bap and just being um fan of old school hip-hop because i first of all i myself love the boom bap it's just that classic way of production mm-hmm. but I've listened to your albums, and while I do see, hear a lot of uh, boom bap in your uh, production, I also hear a little bit uh, some trap too, and a little yeah. bit of alternative as well. You just you found a way to just mix them all together, uh, create what I call like your own unique blend. So, yeah. how do you when you're writing, when you're preparing your instrumentals, or when you're listening to, um, or when you have other um, producers create the um, instrumentals? Even before you even hear the the uh, production, like, what do you? How do you envision your song sounding? So you're like, this beat is perfect. Mm. You know, that's a good question because um, <clears throat> I just I recorded a new song actually <laughs> recently uh, that's coming out soon, and um, uh, you remember. A few months ago, I actually took a trip out to L.A. Um, So when I was out in L.A., I started writing this song. And then I found myself putting so much pressure on this song being the the track that I make while I'm out here. And then, like, I I put so much into it that I didn't realize that I was forcing it. 
And in me forcing it, I had made a beat that wasn't quite it. Like it, it wasn't quite uh, what the match the lyrics. It didn't quite go on the journey, and um, like that the that the lyrics was taking it on. And so, you know, I really try not to force it um, when I'm making anything. So um, I've learned in the past that like I can't write. Well, or I shouldn't write like the whole song in one day. Like I shouldn't really just like pressure myself to do that because then I'm going to force out something that's, you know, uh, not to the best of my ability. Right. Um, or it, like more accurately, it's OK to do that, but it may not be the song that you put out right away. It's like it's good to get in the habit of like writing every day and producing every day. Like I'm not saying don't do that. But like, don't be so in such a rush to, you know, drop something that it's not the best that it could be. Um, so I took some time away from that and then just was just making beats, just making anything and um, just listening to things. Oh, I like what the strings did in this song, but I like this drum pattern here. Let's fuse it together. <laughs> like, you know, just doing, just going through a period of doing that and whatnot. And then um, I find myself chilling one day and I pull up a completely different beat that I made from this whole haze of other beats. And then it had me thinking about these lyrics from before. And I'm like, well, I like what's going on here. And I like what's going on here. Let's throw that together. And man, that was like, that was the synchronicity that was needed. Um, yeah, I use that word right, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, so it's never cool. really so basically getting right, sorry, but it's never really just everything in one day, it's just it's just a whole plethora of ideas coming together on a, a over a certain length of time to your point where you're just like, oh, wait a minute, this works here and this works here, and yeah, finally but... have pieces of the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. And one thing I sort of like strive for, um, this is a bit more abstract because one of my like uh, production, lyric, you know, singing influences of all time for me is Michael Jackson, right? And one thing that I admired in, in the majority of his production is that like his beats and his instrumentals never really gave you a break, like listening wise uh for the listener like there was always something going on even when it appeared to be like space or like whole notes or something like that there's other instruments just like in the background like even you could barely hear them but they're there and whatnot so that's something that i'm that i've been striving to add to my own production and whatnot and just like just having everything just fit but like never really giving the listener a break of you know what's going on Wow. Uh, I hope that made sense. <laughs> yes, it does. You know, you don't want the, you don't want your song to um, become stagnant and you want the um, listener to continuously stay engaged. So you continuously find ways to never really add that sort of like blank space. You're continuously like looking for new ways to shift and adjust so that it's a constant, you know, uphill instead mm -hmm. of just up and then a flat. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I love about music, too, is because, like, you have all these opportunities to just experiment with, you know, so many ideas. Yeah, that's the beauty about art, about art, you know, you can, you can do experiment and 
do things the way you want to do it. It's, it's wonderful. But amidst all this songwriting and all this you know, experimenting and figuring things out, I'm curious about something. Is there Was there ever a song that you wrote, you know, uh, lyrics, production and all, that made you just stop and reflect on it? Yes. Uh, my name is the first track on Before I Die. Um, that was the that was the first track that I can confidently say everything that was in my head, I was able to bring out in real life. Like from the beat, from all the notation, like that was the first beat that I had made exactly as I visioned. Um, that was, you know, you know, everything like about that track I felt like was all me on it. Um, although as I listen to it now, like uh, being a little more seasoned as an artist and whatnot, there's obviously things that I would adjust now in hindsight. But um, but in making that one, that was definitely the track that I was like, huh, I really make music. <laughs> like I'm really getting better at this stuff. <laughs> well, you know what? That's another thing. You know, with art, you just get better with time. Yeah. And it's, it only gets better from here. But now I just want to talk to you about, yeah, um, before I, I want to get into more songwriting later, but let's just talk a little bit about Before I Die, you know, your latest um, full album. Yeah, yeah I remember um, asking you about it before, and this was during, you know, it was recently around 2020, time of the um, George, George Floyd uh, murder and the protests and not just along with that, just not just the message uh, of protesting police brutality and, you know, emphasizing your value as a human being, but also I just couldn't help but think about this is like hip hop where a lot of rappers aren't even like making it to like 40 or even 30. Like we just saw with takeoff. He's, he's, he got killed 28 and that's it's crazy, you know, mm-hmm. but and that's why all this together made, made me think of you a bit, Evan, when you were writing, you know, before I die, did it, did knowing all of this, like, give you, make you feel a certain sense of like dread or fear at all? Oh, is absolutely. <laughs> Man, I was dealing with some crazy anxiety, like during that period, um, because also I like I wasn't really as in tune with how like you know Instagram algorithms and how all that stuff really works. So I wasn't aware that you know when you look at something, Instagram is going to show you more of the same thing. So you know my perception of was was like shit like this is happening every day, multiple times a day. You're driving down the street. The cop is going to see you. He's black with the car. Let's stop him and kill him. Like, this is all stuff that I was going through on the daily, like trying to, uh, you know, live regular life and just, um, and, you know, so like that was the honesty, like the, the journey of that album, how it wraps up in the end. And I'm not sure if I totally executed this perfectly on that album, but you know, that's why we make next albums. <laughs> but, um, but like the way that journey wraps up is that like, I'm, you know, a random black kid hanging in the park with my friends. And because of 
somebody else doing something at some other party somewhere else and now he's on the run um he runs past us in the park and the cops mistakes me for that guy and then i'm the one who ends up getting shot so that was like the sum up of like my fear was literally i was gonna die for something that had nothing to do with me um and today that's still a pretty prevalent fear like i feared like it's not, it's not that I so much fear death. It's the fact that I fear death over someone else's stupidity. Like I, I would hate to go out that way. <laughs> that would be a terrible way to go, paying for somebody else's crimes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way to do it. But I, I can imagine though that you must have felt like some relief when you were able to make, um, oversee the entire album's you know completion and be able to say like, here is my story. Here's who I am, you know? Yeah, it was a very uplifting moment. Like, it was a moment I really couldn't believe. I remember getting the full mix back of the project and just, like, listening to it over and over again, like, in disbelief that I really, like, made it. Like, and I, I don't say made it as in, like, you know, oh, I'm now this big artist or whatnot, but made it as in made a long honest piece of art you know <laughs> like a, a a piece of music that you know came from the soul and whatnot so um and frankly that i view that as more of a perception of made it then you know than i guess what most people perceive it as yeah yeah it's definitely absolutely it's, that's a great way of putting it I'm not and, sure if I answered your question. <laughs> you did, you did, you know? Like your own like milestone right there. Yeah. And you got to perform that milestone at places like the, I still never heard that name really pronounced, New Yorkian uh, Poets Cafe. Yeah, down, well, that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. In downtown. So people don't know, New Yorkian is a iconic uh, performance venue in uh, Manhattan for musicians comedians and of course obviously poets mm-hmm. so evan what's what would you say is your relationship with uh the new yorican um well as it stands right now uh, i can't really like perform there much because like the timing just doesn't like the schedules don't quite line up um they they have a very dedicated group of people who as soon as that like um list to, to like the performance list name opens up which is at like five which um they are they are there with their names on it every morning um and they're just super dedicated to that unfortunately i'm still at work at five so i can't make it over there um so i haven't been able to perform there much but um that's definitely a venue that we plan on getting back to probably in the summertime when I have more, you know, flexibility. Flexibility, of course. But, you know, what do environments like that, what would you say they bring out of you as an artist, just being in an environment like that where artists go to just basically show off their creative talents? Um, it's such a, what does it bring out of me? Um, 
how do I describe it? I'm not sure if it's like that it brings it out of me. It's just, I like the, the intimacy of it. You know, it's not like, it's not a sea of people that I can't recognize. It's, you know, it's regular people. It's a few people. It's people that I could be rapping and have eye contact with and then meet after the show, like, and conversate with. It's, it's regular people. It's people who are there to, you know, hear new music and hear more abstract music. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think it's the connection that I have with these type of music listeners. Yeah. So basically, what I'm gathering from this is, it's like instead of instead of being like in one like one big nightclub with just a sea of people um, crammed next to each other and just walking around and partying, it's more like for you a the equivalent of a small house party where folks yeah. come in meet new people and you're able to have genuine fun and interaction yeah like a kickback it's nice that's i like that that's that's it's gotta be a lot of fun i was i was able to be at the new Rican too so it's yeah. folks if you've never been check it out it's mm-hmm. historic but i want to um, mm-hmm. ask you about another thing uh, evan have you ever heard of this um or ever seen or heard of this documentary uh called Something from Nothing, The Art of Rap, uh, directed by Ice-T. No. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a documentary where Ice-T goes around, whether it be in Chicago, Detroit, uh, LA, New York, and he interviews classic um, rappers, Eminem, Snoop, Ice Cube, Bun B, Rakim, and they all explain their influences, their styles, how they see the how they see their lyrics and how they put it together in a song yeah. and a couple of that stuff to me was Rakim saw it as like 16 bars he kind of saw like like graphs within those lines and he mm-hmm. would like write his own words and syllables and he'd say when it's all together there's no other words you could put in let's say just four bars yeah. and as his own like puzzle like mm-hmm. he's continuously looking for pieces of the puzzle to put together. So with all these different ways of looking at it, I know you've kind of explained it away, but I want to dig a little bit deeper into it, Evan. Okay. What are you seeing when you're writing your lyrics? Do you, like, what do you see it as? What do I see it as? Um, well, that's, that answer has evolved over like the past, well, since before I died, um, really, because mm-hmm. a lot of the times I was just writing Till it felt right till it felt right to stop right so i couldn't really count bars for the longest so when somebody would say oh drop a 16 yeah i might get i might get a 16 but not that i'm counting it's it's that i'm like and this is the last line right <laughs> like so um yeah um so i just kind of like would just rap until until it felt right to stop Unfortunately, I see how that was like negatively affecting me because then those stopping points could either be 16 or 24 or 32 or, you know, and then when it comes to collaborating with somebody, whereas I'm over here writing a verse that that feels right and it, you know, it's going to stop when it when it feels right for somebody that needs 16 bars and that's it. 
it doesn't work, right? So now I had to, um, well, A, I had to learn how to count. Um, and that's definitely have helped me writing song structure uh, more now too, because now I've been able to incorporate like bridges, like four bar bridges or like, you know, choruses that start out one way and then turn into something different, you know? Um, so it's just made the writing process make more sense to me. So, yeah. And dare I say the, the music making process in general, because it's also helped me on the production end too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can imagine when you're writing and producing, you're able to fully like create your own world in this song it's uh, all the reins are on your shoulders yeah yeah and do you do you, pre do you prefer producing on your own or do you like it when um other um producers are able to do the beat for you um hmm. it's kind of half and half because when the, when other producers produce for me uh i don't really know what i'm gonna get Right. So I, you know, I let them go on their creative journey. I don't really get in the way of that. And then when they send it to me and say, oh, it's your turn to add to it, you know, then I add my own flavor. But it's me adding my flavor to what they have. Um, when I'm producing for myself, you know, I'm in the driver's seat on both ends. So it's like that I, that tends to be from a more like uh more like conceptual more abstract stuff because then i'm like well there's no rules there's no there's no uh structure that i mean there's a structure that i gotta fit to but i could break the rules if i choose to you know um and so i'm not really following anyone else's structure and in that case i just sort of you know i just sort of put whatever whatever I think would fit, you know? I try things that don't even fit, but uh, you know, there's only one, only one way I'm gonna learn. Um, and then also um, letting other people into that production process too has been an underrated move that I've made now too. Um, because I realized as much as I think about things in production, I can't, I can't think someone else's thought. So, when someone else hears what I'm already producing, whatever they add to it is probably not going to be something I thought of. So, and that has led to me hearing some weird sounds in my beats, but they work. They work. Like they work. And um, and you just gotta love that part of the process. You know, that's that special thing that collaboration brings that you know nothing else can. It's been tough getting out of that that uh, artist do it yourself box, um, and honestly, it's still a daily struggle. But um, but it's important too. It's important too because other people bring things to your art that you can never bring on your own. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as you continue to prepare for your next album and continue to um, put out new singles, what's something particularly new or different that you want to or are currently using to sort of evolve your sound and evolve your uh, music? Mm. So for this project, and let me look at, let me look at some of the beats so I can give you the most accurate answer. 
So the number one thing I started adding has been strings. So that's, um, I started adding more of a sense of drama to my beats with that. Uh, that's doing something yeah. I'm looking towards. Um, I've been chopping samples more, uh, which I'm still not, I'm not where I want to be with that yet, but um, you know, it's a process. Uh, I've been diving into a lot more music theory. So I've been, you know, adding, adding more notes that, how do I explain that? You know, when you sort of like know the rules of something and then that allows you to break the rules a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. So a little bit of that. Um, you know, I'm just really like on a journey of pushing my musical limits as far as they could go. Older I get. Uh, yeah. Nice. Pushing your musical limits. Do you? So, oh, I also want to say this because the next project that I'm dropping is heavily collaboration oriented. So there's a bunch of different artists on it. There's a bunch of different producers on it. You know, it's going to be like a lot. It's going to be a lot, but it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. um, I also recently started working on the project after that. Um, and that's going to be, uh, well, I'll just tell, tell you, that's going to be heavily more like uh, basketball influenced and whatnot uh from the story to the production to the like i envision it being something that people will like warm up to before the games <laughs> like you know yeah. that's really uh, what i'm aiming for for that next next project <laughs> so let's so let's yeah let's um speaking of basketball i want to transition to that so i want to start with some simple questions first off uh random question what uh position are you um specifically um so i'm anywhere between a point guard and a shooting guard i prefer to play the shooting guard though um that has limited me in my uh basketball endeavors though because i'm only six foot one your average mm -hmm. college shooting guard is about six foot four so like <laughs> yeah so um although i did play college for a very short time um that's why I didn't do super well I was just emphasized for my position and then from the point guard standpoint although I'm a decent playmaker I'm not necessarily the one you want doing all the playmaking <laughs> um yeah because it's like I'll see some things but honestly there's a lot of shots that I just feel like I can make and it's like I'm gonna try to make it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's up? So, um, do you have any um games that you remember like either the most fondly or just as the signs of like, oh, I need to improve more. I need to like sharpen my game. Do you have any games that can uh, you can tell us that made you think like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um because this is what sort of changed my thinking and my approach uh, from being more pass first to scoring more. Um, my junior year of high school, um, I was one of about two juniors on the varsity team. Everyone else was a senior. 
I was suspended for most of the year. I come back with, um, cause I had transferred. So maybe you have to like sit out for a year. Um, so I come back at like the second or third last game of the season. Right. And I come in and I'm playing point guard. And I am diming. I am dishing to everybody, getting assist after assist and whatnot. Ended the game with not a lot of points, but around like 20-something assists. I'm hyped. I'm like, oh, I'm about to be the point guard of the future of this school and whatnot, right? That season ends. I move on to the next season where I'm now one of the only seniors and I'm playing with a bunch of juniors, right? So I'm entering the season thinking I'm gonna be dishing to everybody again. And I'm passing to people, it's flying through their hands. I'm throwing it to them. They're like missing the layup and this, that, and the other. And then I'm just like, well, do I gotta do it by myself? So like, that's the the sort of, uh, and to answer that question was, yeah, I, I had to do it myself. Um, so I had to start like adding ways to score. I'd already, I'd always known, I'd always known that like, if I could get to the the free throw line area, I can probably get a shot off. Uh, I don't know why. I've just always been good at that. People have always had a hard time guarding me with that. So you know that was that became my go-to. So um, so yeah. So there was that scoring thing. And then when I had moved to college um, and started playing at the college level, I'd realized that the players were getting a lot smarter and whatnot. Suddenly my go-to moves are getting stopped and whatnot. Um, the people are getting bigger for some reason. Uh, I had gotten dunked on in practice for the first time, like bad, like, <laughs> like, um, and you know, it's just, it, it becomes a different level. It literally becomes a different level where if you're not prepared, the game can literally get dangerous, honestly. Um, and I had gone from a like a smaller high school, um, you know, level with which I was one of the bigger people on the team to now a D1 level, which I'm now one of the smallest people on the court. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was a huge culture shock. And then that wasn't even like where I was at college wise, um, although I was D1, like my school would have totally got annihilated by like a Duke or somebody like that, Duke or North Carolina. Like we were like we were here, they were there. So like even the gap between me and like an NBA player is still insane. Um so, you know, and there's that there's that sort of culture shock that happens. Um, and I think it happens mainly to um, kids coming from New York, going out of state to school because, well, that's sort of the that's sort of the, the New York game. There's a lot of like smaller guards who are good at dribbling and this, that and the other, but can't necessarily see over the defense. I was a bigger guard who could see over the defense and just shoot over people. Um, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so a wild turn of uh, events right there. Oh, absolutely. A culture shock. And I think everybody, sorry, I think everybody who plays ball needs to go through a moment like that. Uh, you know, where you're just, 
in the real shit with people who are like, <laughs> like about to go to the league, people who like wake up and that's all they do is play ball. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it really puts your game into perspective. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. So when you're practicing, so um, after that, I want to learn a little bit more about you as a basketball player. So when you're not on a team, when you're by yourself, are there any, let's say, uh, practice routines from um, NBA players that you've uh, picked up on? And if so, what are they? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I like that question, actually. Um, so, like, you know, the older I get, um, you know, you can't really play like you used to. Um, so, uh, whereas I was younger, I would rely on athleticism a lot along with the, the mid range and whatnot. I've kept the mid range cause you don't have to be as athletic with it. Um, but I've sort of added other aspects and moves to my game that, you know, allow me to still be effective without putting my body on the line as much. Um, so now I like. Now I'll rely a lot more on defensive momentum and whatnot. I tend to use that against my opponent very much. Um, I had to add a three-point shot because I, <laughs> I realized not everybody's going to just give me the mid-range. And I noticed that people will start backing up off of me uh, from the three-point line um, because they knew I couldn't shoot it from there back then. So now... <laughs> Now I had to add that, um, and then with that came the step back three. So, um, and also um, I didn't mention this at all. I spent a lot of years as a referee, so I, um, you know, got an opportunity to learn and like revamp my game accordingly. I was just that was actually literally going to be uh, my next question that you've been <laughs> refereeing games. Yeah, and I ask you how has that job made you think about yourself uh, on the court? Oh, man, yo, it like it puts the whole game in perspective because I like I realized that everybody is seeing a different angle of the game. When I was playing, when play, players are on the floor, they are so close to the action that they can't see the strategy of the other team. You're really good players can, but they can't really see the strategy of the other team. They're, they're too close to the image. Right. Then you have the coach who's on one side of the coach uh, on side of the court um, and they're devising their strategy accordingly and whatnot. But they can't see the angles and the errors, like the flaws in the plan, the parts of the strategy that breaks down a bit. And it's the referee's job to, you know, we have the freedom to move all over the court, you know, to see what's going on, see and see what's going wrong. Right. So, um, so like, you, you know, being able to see all three of those perspectives has just made the game like, like so much easier to watch and understand and whatnot. Like there's a lot of times, um, I don't know how much you're watching, I don't know how much you watch basketball, but there's a lot of times where somebody will be dribbling, like the person will be on offense and then the defense will go and try to steal the ball and then the offensive player will nudge them in the back a little bit and send them flying a little bit and then cross over. I can't call that a foul because the guy is already heading that way. Right. Oh, so, man. Yeah. And that's what I mean by like using somebody's momentum against them. 
right? Like if you're already headed that way, I mean, that push did nothing to you. You were already headed that way versus where we um, tend to tell people to like slide their feet. If you had slid in front of that person and then that arm came up, you'd have to actually apply some force to send you to the floor. That force is what we call the player control foul and whatnot. Um, and if they don't apply that force, then you're not going to move because you're in front of them and you're you're there. Like they're pushing you here. You can't really move, right? So just picking up those little things. And then it happens all the time where somebody will be heading that way. They get the little nudge and they're already going that way. We don't call it. And then we hear from the, the coaches, hey, that was a push off. That he pushed them and whatnot. I can't call that, bro. <laughs> I can't call that. There's no advantage that way. Um, I'm sorry. I could go on a basketball tangent forever. That's literally my other passion. Um, Honestly, I can, I can imagine it. that job also um, is great for building patience because you've got coaches on both sides yeah. even yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it gets tough sometimes because, like, you, you get the whole gambit because sometimes you get a coach who like who walks in, who knows his tactics, knows his strategy, like knows his players and they know how to execute. Those games are beauty to watch. It's, it's amazing. Nobody talks to us. The players are tuned in, like they know what to do. And then you have those games where like, they just must have found this coach off the street. He don't know anything about basketball. And all he's doing is complaining the whole game. Oh, that's a travel. He fouled him there. He did this, that, and the other. And they're so focused on calls that aren't going their way that they're not paying attention to so what's going on in the game. So basically, they don't even know what they're talking about. Exactly. And, I mean – those tend to be your headaches more more in more cases than not because, like, at the end of the day, I'm just here to do a job. I don't care who wins. Uh, I want to tell these coaches that I really don't care who wins. Um, one of the things that, like, attracted me to being a referee was the fact that I got to watch basketball. I get to be up close to basketball. And the only catch, the only catch is that I can't care who wins. Pretty good deal with me. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, I can't care. That's the that's my only job is I have to be indifferent and I just have to, to call it as I see it. So, like, from that perspective, I'm pretty grateful. And I'm pretty fortunate, you know. I, I still get to be around it. Um, occasionally, I might be able to sneak a tip in there to, uh, to the kids and whatnot. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, that sounds. <laughs> that honestly sounds like you really enjoy. It. I'm really happy to see that you love doing what you do, and that you know you're able to continue your passion for basketball. Yeah. I just have one more question for you, though. Sure, man. If you could play for any team on the NBA. Who would you play for? Right now. Yeah. Hmm. Let me think. Cause I want to, I want to give you a really good answer too. Uh, damn, I don't want to play for this team, but the team that I think I would have the most success on right now would probably be the Pacers. The Pacers, huh? That's an interesting choice. Yes, 
because I would come off the bench behind Tyrese Halliburton, who's like 6'5 and a beast. Um, I'd have Buddy Hill to pass it to at the shooting guard, uh, Miles Turner to run pick and rolls off of, which I could still get my step back to my mid ranges in. Um, and frankly, I don't even know who else is on the roster, but that's really all I need. Another team, another team I would um, play for is the Miami Heat. Uh, and because of the same situation, although I wouldn't get as much playing time because Max Vincent and Kyle Lowry are pretty much a lock at that, at those positions. Um, and maybe the Lakers, too, only because, like, I might be able to fill that, that Lou Williams position that he had when he was over there. Just the off-the-bench scoring threat at shooting guard, also very undersized. So I might be able to fill that role. So, also they need shooting. I'm not the best shooter, so I wouldn't be the great, <laughs> the the best fit there. But um, I shoot better than Westbrook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you have it, folks. Uh huh. All right. So, all right, ladies. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. So that concludes episode 18 of the upcoming. I wanted to give another big thank you. And shout out to my friend, Evan LaSalle. Thank you, Evan, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you Absolutely. for having me. All right, folks. And so also, I didn't mention this as a as an influence, but also the Black Thought has also been an instrumental influence on my music. So. Oh, really? Dude, that is a... Oh, okay. He is a fantastic... He's a fantastic rapper. Yes, and often left, on, left off of a lot of lists. I don't know why. I don't know why either. Do you, you favorite rapper? Tell those people on those top tens lists to see um, their rappers um, freestyle for ten minutes straight. Yeah, and, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Black Thought is your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, yo. <laughs> That's what I think. Undisputed, and he's still he's still got it. He's still going strong. Yeah, huge influence mm-hmm. of mine. Yeah, he's, he's actually on my wall over here, but the thing is the thing is blurred. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, folks. So be sure to follow Evan LaSalle on all stream platforms. Be sure to follow him on Instagram too. And, you know, be sure to um, stream his uh, album when it comes out. And yeah. be sure to Thank follow him. Yes. Thank and be sure to... Next album. Next album. And so, wait, what was that album name again? It's called Thank God for Rap. Thank God for Rap. All right, folks. Be on the lookout for that name. Thank God for rap. When it comes out, play that album. In any case, uh, be sure to follow the upcoming on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast and stay tuned for episode 19 of the upcoming. That is all for our show. So that being said, ladies and gentlemen, good night. Good night, y'all. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, please sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody.